Amen. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. My favorite commercials. I don't know if they're on TV because I don't watch TV. I've become a product of this generation. And I watch seven to eight minute max things on YouTube. <laughs> um, but my, so my favorite YouTube commercials are the progressive commercials by Dr. Rick. Y'all seen those? Like, don't become like your parents. Have y'all seen those? They're so good, man. There's a, so some of them I'm just laughing at because I'm like, man, that's my granddad. And then others I'm like, oh, I know a guy like that, you know. And then the, but then that next layer is like, ooh, I think I do that. <laughs> and uh, so I, I love those commercials. They're really funny. But one of the things that we've probably all heard in our lives is that saying, like father, like son. You ever hear that? And for some of us, to be honest, you don't want to be associated with your dad and his decisions. And that's okay. That's okay. Like if your dad didn't serve the Lord, walk with Jesus, lead you, love you, then you don't need to be bitter or negative and you might need to deal with that. You know, I'll be honest. I have a hard time wrestling with bitterness concerning things that, like with my dad and my upbringing. Like I'm just saying that just to be transparent. Like I really struggle with it. I have to wrestle with that. There's times where I get... Like, it's crazy. Do you ever, is, okay, if I'm being transparent, let's just keep rolling with this. It's not in my notes. You ever get so mad and you're all by yourself and you're like, okay, you got to talk yourself down. Like, you need to calm down. There's not even anybody here right now. There's nothing you can do about it. I get like get mad about stuff that happened, you know? And so if, if you were raised in, in a situation where things were super ungodly and maybe abuse or whatever, you know, neglect, like you got, you kind of in one sense, you got a right to be mad about that, all right? The Bible says that there is a righteous anger. The Bible also says you can be angry and not sin. The Bible also says don't be controlled by your anger, okay? So that's the tension you got to live with. Now, what I, what I have tried to learn to do, and I do not do this perfectly by any stretch, I try to take the things that frustrate me and rather than let bitterness overwhelm me, try to do things better in my life than, than I saw done in certain, th in certain areas. And then also try to learn from things that were done right and focus on those. So whatever your situation is, some of you grew up with godly dads who weren't perfect, but you're like, yeah, man, he did a pretty good job. Like he, 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 he taught me how to love God and love people and, and be a hard worker. And so Isaac is the one guy, as we work through Genesis, Isaac is the one dude that we don't get a lot of information about him. We don't hear a lot about Isaac. Um, Abraham was his dad. And you remember that Abraham, Abraham had multiple kids, but Isaac was the one that's called the son of promise or the seed of promise. So we know that through Isaac, eventually all the promises of God will be fulfilled. So like Isaac's going to have a kid, maybe he has a bunch of kids, but at this point in the story, he's going to have at least one kid who going to have a kid who going to have a kid and we're going to be able to trace through history the promise of God that eventually ends up with Jesus. And there's some pretty legit people along the way like Boaz. I like to throw him in there because that's a legit name. You know what I mean? Like Boaz. Somebody in this church needs to name their child Boaz at some point. Maximus would be good too, but Boaz for sure, okay? Uh, and then, but then the kids got to live up to the name, you know what I'm saying? Like, they got to live up to it. That can't be like a, uh, they got to live up to it. All right, so, so uh, when you follow that line, you got like, you know, Isaac has Jacob, and we saw last week that starts to get set up, and then 
Um, and then you, you can follow that all the way through the, like the kings and it lands at David and then it's David that God will then, and Snowbird folks, we're learning about this right now, David will get a new covenant reiterating the covenant that God made with Abraham and then that covenant, well, we can follow that all the way to Jesus. And we're like, oh, Jesus, we can trace Jesus all the way back to this guy, Isaac. So Isaac's the seed of promise. So that when we went through all the life of Abraham and we saw the covenant promises of God made to Abraham, this is the first generation post Abraham's death where we get to see the promises of God like they live beyond the generation that he made them to, which is really cool. Like if you think God makes us promises that when we're dead and gone, he'll continue to carry out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To think that your kids and grandkids, even if you're 25, 30 years old and you're like, I don't have a kid, or even if, or, or, or you're 80 years old and you're going, man, I just want the legacy that I leave behind to be God's legacy for me. That's what we get to see start to unfold and play out in the life of, of, of Isaac. But the reason I bring up that parenting uh, commercial is because we're going to see, this is an awesome chapter, and most people highlight on this one knucklehead move that Isaac makes, but I would remind you, you don't want to be judged for your one knucklehead move in one chapter of your life, right? Like, like so let's extend Isaac some grace just like we would like grace extended us. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, oh, man, I talked to this guy. He said, we don't take, we wouldn't take our kids to Snowbird, and he was, this is on the campsite, and he's like, why not? And he said, oh, man, we went there one time, and he starts to tell these horror stories. I was like, yeah, it was 2002. How about don't judge us for things we did 20 years ago? You know, like, like all of us need some grace as we grow and develop and move along in life, and hopefully we're becoming more like Jesus. And so Isaac is going to do this one really knucklehead thing in this story where you're like, oh, what are you doing? And, and, uh, but we'll get past that and see the bigger principles um, that we can learn from him. So let's, let's dive in, Genesis 26. Um, we'll start in, in verse 1. We'll work right through the chapter. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to, uh, him, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So the first thing is, story starts off, there's a famine, which means there's a crisis. Particularly, there's a water crisis. Like if there's a famine, like, okay, if there was a famine here, which is hard for us to think about. We live in a rainforest, you know. But imagine there's a famine. Now imagine your whole livelihood is the livelihood of a herdsman. Now, a, a water shortage is going to cripple and possibly destroy everything you've worked for. Um, and, and so there's a famine, water crisis, and so what does Isaac do? He begins to get restless. He begins to move. He begins to move around. Verse 2, and the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. So he must have been headed to Egypt. He's like, that's like a habit that the early Israelites had. Let's go to Egypt. Um, and, and so he's headed down to Egypt, and, and then God's like, don't go down there. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. And the word dwell just means we're going to put down some roots somewhere else, but it's not going to be Egypt. And I think the, the lesson is that when we encounter these difficulties and life stresses, we need to look to the Lord. Like when you're going through a difficult season, difficult time, something's happening in your life, you're like, I don't know what to do. This is bad. We just need to look to the Lord. Don't freak out. Like, don't freak out. Just calm down. Uh, because I think the tendency for some of us is to freak out when we need to calm down. Like, God's got you. Listen to me. The Lord's got you. God's promises to you as a believer are not necessarily that you're going to get rich. Because Isaac's getting ready to get ridiculously rich in this passage, okay? But the lesson from this story is not going to be that you're going to get ridiculously rich. Although some of you will. Maybe. 
But the lesson is God's got you no matter what. There's a famine in the land. Everything that Isaac like, relies on is, is in compromise. And then the Lord says, just, just do what I say and everything's going to be okay. Verses 3 through 5, sojourn, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. That's a really important promise that's going to come back around in verse 24 when God reiterates the covenant. I'm going to be with you. I will bless you for to you and your offspring. I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because, it's a big word, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So the Lord reaffirms his promise of blessing. He reaffirms the covenant that he made to Abraham that he's going to bless Abraham's offspring. He re- Isaac needs to hear that reaffirmation. But he points out that the reason that Isaac's going to be the recipient of blessing is because Abraham obeyed the Lord. Now, I want to I want to just throw something at you that's fairly theological or like it's it's wordy, but it, but but it'll be super brief. There's something in, Bible, in, in the Bible called the Deuteronomic principle. And you can hear the root word there is Deuteronomy, right? And what we would see in the early days of Israel's history is that God would say, if you do this thing, then there will be this thing. So God is the one that's driving the blessing. God is the, the thing that stands out to us first in this story is that God is a God of providence and sovereignty, but our decisions matter. And so the Deuteronomic principle is that if I'm obedient to the Lord. I can expect at the very least and, and really the very most spiritual blessing in my life. And I want to tell you tonight, Red Oak, that spiritual blessing is far greater than monetary or material blessing will ever be. If you live your life in a place of spiritual peace and emotional stability and psychological rest, money cannot buy that. Amen? You can't buy that. You cannot buy that kind of peace. Like you can, you can, all you got to do is track and trace the lives of people in Hollywood and look at the relational devastation that gets caused, right? Like, but, but when we rely on the promises of God to provide for us stability and blessing, spiritual blessing comes from obedience to God. So as a Christian, it's always best for us to be obedient to the Lord. It's always best for us to be be obedient to the Lord. And so because of Abraham's obedience, Isaac gets to uh, receive some of the the blessing that comes from that. Obedience equals blessing. Now, I would also add that we should be encouraged that even when we make mistakes, we can live a life of repentance and continued pursuit of the Lord. Because none of us are perfect and none of us are going to have any perfect days or seasons but imagine the trajectory of your life being one of faithfulness to the Lord and obedience to his word. Abraham's an exa- our example of faith, but we know that he failed miserably. At this point in the story, we've seen him fail so miserably, hadn't we? But the trajectory of his life was that when he failed, he would respond in repentance. When he failed, he would accept responsibility for his actions. When he failed, he would submit himself to the consequences that the Lord had for him. This is one of the most important lessons we can learn as a Christians, but critical that we teach to our sons and daughters. Like, hey, there are consequences to your actions, but the most important thing you can do when you do wrong is embrace, take responsibility, confess, admit, repent, and turn from that and do better. 
not, not as some sort of moralism, but do better as a more fervent obedience to the Lord. So Abraham's life, this trajectory of his life is that when he would fail, when he would mess up, he would become more fervent in his worship and obedience to the Lord so that the trajectory of his life is one of obedience and faith. We should take, we got to take like confidence in that because when you mess up, you're going to need to be reminded God's got this. Just like God's got them in the famine, God's got you in your failure and your mistake. God's the one that can bring you back from that. So verse 6, Isaac settled in Gerar. So he, as he's learned from his dad, um, he follows in obedience, um, which is a double-edged sword, as we're going to see in the next four verses. Learning from your dad um, is a good thing sometimes. Um, it's Father's Day next week. And so there's no applications to be drawn here, but this would be a great text for next week because the, the, the idea is that as dads, our impact on our, on our sons and daughters and grandchildren even is going to outlive us. It's going to outlive us, good or bad. Your decisions, the way you live your life, they, that matters. Remember when you were a kid? Some of you might remember this, and you're walking in the snow. This is like the oldest preacher illustration ever. And you're walking behind your dad, and you're trying to hop and put your feet in his tracks. Remember that? Like, that's, that's the visual. That as dads, we have an incredible amount of influence and impression that we make, especially and particularly on our younger children. And so um, that can be a good thing because Isaac is obedient. We're going to see this trajectory of obedience. But then it gets really really wonky right here in verse 7. When the men of the place ask him about his wife, so he's moved to this place, this Philistine city called Gerar. They ask him about his wife. He said, she's my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So you get to that point in the story and you're like, what in the world? All I got in my notes. Okay. We're not going to elaborate on this. All I got in my notes on verses 7 through 11 is, Isaac, are you even serious right now? <laughs> That's what I wrote because I was like, I don't, what is he doing? He saw this play out, you remember? If you've been with us on this study, and if you haven't, you might be familiar earlier in Genesis, this is exactly what his dad did. Like, oh, this is not my wife. This is my sister. I'm like, Ban well, you got a backup banjo music band playing. Like, what are you talking about right now? Like, this is not your sister. But he freaks out, right? He freaks out. And what I love about this is watch what comes. So, so wait, one, one thing I do think is worth noting. Isn't it interesting that a non-believing pagan calls him out on it? Have you ever had this happen where, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, you don't have to amen or yes or no, like, but I've seen this happen where a non-believer will step in to keep you from sinning. No, you can't, don't offer weed to him, or no, I don't want him to drink right now, like, because you've sort of established that testimony. Zach and I have talked about this a lot when he used to work in, uh, Zach worked in a um, restaurant, and he says, crazy, like, the one believer in this dark place, and then they got to this point where the unbelievers would protect the believer. Like, no, 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 no. don't talk like that in front of him. Don't, don't offer him that. Don't, he doesn't do those things. It's interesting. I, I, I don't have a great 
like philosophical thing to tell you other than that's a reality and we see it play out. And there, there are verses that point to this. Um, 1 Peter 2.12 that talks about our conduct living among the Gentiles and among the world. Um, uh, Proverbs 16.7 that, that literally unbelievers might bless the Lord because of our faithfulness. We got this moment where Isaac's like, like you know, getting off track and then God uses an unbeliever to get him back on track. It's just the grace of the Lord. Um, but I think it's interesting. So we get to verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Okay, so businessmen, businesswomen in the, in the church, can you imagine that next year, in one year, your ROI is 100 times? Y'all know what return on investment is? That means you spent, okay, I'm not bad at math. You spent, for every $1 you spent, you got back $100. That's better than the lottery. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ain't going to, you, you got to buy a lot of lottery tickets and then win a bunch. Like, like that's an incredible, and, and, the, and the text tells us that the reason this happens is because God is blessing him. It's just God's blessing him. You ever do, you ever do everything right and you're like, I can't get this, <laughs> I can't get it to work. And then all of a sudden you don't do anything right and it like it works. That's the blessing of God. Sometimes God chooses to, to bless his people simply because he is a God of sovereignty and providential power and he does what he does and he moves the way he moves. Isaac sowed in that land. So the same land where he had done the whole deceptive thing about his wife and then God blesses him. Verse 13, to further elaborate, and the man became rich <laughs> and gained more and more until he became very rich wealthy like do you do you get the point Isaac got rich then he got more richer then he got very much more richer like like it, they're just trying to like help us understand and I think there's two things happening here that I don't want to miss the first one is this the grace and kindness of the Lord is greater than Isaac's ability to make mistakes and mess things up the grace and the kindness of the Lord in your life is greater than your ability to make mistakes and mess things up. Now, this is a, there's a thin line here that we got to be careful because our, we, we've already seen there's it, always in Scripture there's tension. And the tension says, my actions matter. God blesses obedience. The Deuteronomic principle is, if I'm obedient, then spiritual blessing will come. But there's also this really cool thing that holds that intention, lest we become completely legalistic and think that, well, if I can be religious enough, God will bless me. Because that's not right. Y'all tracking with me? It's pure of heart obedience that God blesses, not religious pietism. Well, I'm so religious because I'm so religious, God should bless me. That's not it. If my heart is for the Lord, if my affections are for the Lord, if my obedience is obedience of faith, God blesses that. On the other hand, I can fall back into the protective catching arms of God when I mess up, knowing that he's got a plan for me that's bigger than my ability to mess it up. You see, a lot of you, I guarantee you, and I'm not painting with a broad stroke, a lot of us in this church believe that God punishes us and holds things against us for things that were under the blood 20 years ago, and you need to let that go. That's not the way God operates. If you're a child of God, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
had, had, in a situation recently where someone was torn up because something was happening in their marriage, in their life with one of their children, and the husband was going, do you think God's punishing me for the way that I lived before I got married when I was in the world? You see, that's wrong thinking. God's plans and purposes are bigger than that, y'all. Listen, his grace to us, his kindness to us. Does he discipline his people? You better believe it. You ever had, a, you ever had the Jesus whooping? You know, like we've all had that. Like you step out of line, God will discipline you, but he disciplines you because he loves you. He doesn't punish you as an enemy or as a foreigner or as someone who's against him. God loves you. He loves me. His grace is bigger than our sin. Isaac, I mean, this is a big mess up. Isaac compromised his wife's purity. And God's bigger than that moment. He's bigger than that moment. I think that's, that's important to understand. The Lord is faithful in this situation because, here's a big theological truth, he's first and foremost faithful to himself. God's faithfulness to you doesn't ride on you. God's faithfulness to you rides on God's faithfulness to himself. He made the covenant. He said, I'm going to bless the house of Abraham, and through his son Isaac, I'm going to bring this offspring. And so God's faithful to himself. For us, how, how, like, what does that mean for us? Well, it means we, we are the recipients of a greater covenant. We're the recipients of a covenant ratified in the blood of Jesus. Jesus washes us in his blood, seals us in his blood. He saves us by his blood, and, and he keeps us in that relationship because he has the power to do that. Should we strive for obedience? Yeah. But self-condemnation ruins the joy of so many Christians. And what it tends to lead to is a cyclical world of living in sin and failure and fallenness. Like, like, man, I messed up. I can't do this right. I can't get this right. No, you know what? If you messed up 10 times, fix your eyes back on Jesus the 11th time and just keep plowing forward and striving for obedience. Every time a prominent pastor falls, we had a conversation. Pastors here, we had a conversation about this this week. Every time a pro prominent pastor falls, people lose their marbles. And I go, well, time out. 99.9% .9 of pastors have not fallen. They've stayed faithful. Could we think about that? More importantly, let's go above that and fix our eyes on Jesus because he never fails. Jesus don't fail, y'all. He's never failed once. He saves people. He's an expert at that. He keeps his promises. He's flawless at that. And he seals and ratifies the covenant that we're in in his blood, not even the blood of an animal. Jesus has got us. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It's going to be all right. Verse 14, he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. The, the Hebrew word means intense jealousy leading to action. They're going to take action. They envy him. They're not happy with him. So they're going to do something about it. Verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. That's a dirty trick. That's some dirty dealings, isn't it? So he's got, we're in, a, we're in a famine. He moves to where his father had dug wells so that he can water his animals, and they come cave in his wells. They're like, he's making too much money, and they cave in his wells. They don't like this. They're, they're, so, so he gets unjustly wronged and attacked. Verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you're much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines 
had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, which means contention, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he also called its name Sitna, which means enmity. What's, what, I think there's a principle here that's very important that Isaac is teaching us, and it's this. The, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, and he says, As much as it is possible, live at peace with all men. If you can walk away from a bad deal, walk away from it. God's got you. Isaac knew that his prosperity, at this point he's learned the lesson, his prosperity doesn't rest on fighting over this one well. God's bigger than that. And so we see this really cool, I think it's just a cool principle that he's living out. And we're seeing character development. He goes from freaking out and compromising his wife to being, a, to being willing to walk away from the one thing that God has probably used to give him his wealth. Oh, the, the, the well, you want the well? You cave the one in? I'll drill another one. Then they come take that. Oh, you want that? Cool. Four times. This, you can have it. You want that one? You can have it. God's big, see, God's bigger than that. God's bigger than this well. You know what you can't take? The covenant promises of God for me. I can drill 100 wells. You can take 100 wells. You're not going to change God's promise to me. Those wells mean nothing in the big picture other than they just keep strengthening his faith because look what happens when we get down to verse 22. He moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. They finally gave up. This is like good stubbornness like gracious stubbornness, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. Now here, this is cool, verse 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he reiterates the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And I think, I think this is important. Right in the middle of that he says, for I am with you. That like the strong characterization of that covenant to Isaac right here is, I'm with you. I've got you. I'm not going to leave you. And the scripture tells us as Christians that Jesus will not leave us. He will not forsake us. That the spirit of God seals us, indwells us, goes before us, comes behind us, encompasses round about us. As Christians, you will never walk through life. Not one minute will you walk through this life alone. The spirit of God dwells with you, is in you is leading you, is guiding you. And so God makes this covenant promise with a new, stronger emphasis for Isaac personally in that he reminds him that he's going to be with him. Look how Isaac responds, verse 25. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Isaac responds by worshiping the Lord. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and, and uh, Fakal the commander of his army Isaac said to them why have you come to see me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you they said we see plainly that Yahweh has been with you so we said let there be a sworn pact between us between you and us and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good <laughs> that's not true just so you know did you Hopefully when you're reading the Bible, you slow down enough to catch stuff like this. Do you hear what this knucklehead's saying? He's like, listen, man. So the guy that, this is the guy who, his dudes drove him off of four wells, you know. 
And then they, they, and then he just keeps, God just keeps blessing it. So they show up and they're like, hey, uh, listen, man, we, we done, we, we've only been good to you. All we've ever done is help you. We've been nothing but good neighbors, good friends, enter into a covenant with us. <laughs> you know, like, well, are you kidding me? Um, and so, but I love what I, the way Isaac responds. Um, Where did I get to? Verse 28? 29. That you will do us no harm. Joe, uh, yeah. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and that you have sent and sent you away in peace. So the reason I lost my place is because I didn't see that. I didn't think about that when I was doing sermon prayer. It just jumped out at me. Like, what are these guys saying, man? It's so crazy. You are now blessed of Yahweh. This is cool. They're recognizing where his blessing comes from. This is a big deal, man, because what's happening here is a principle that we're going to talk about in just a minute in the conclusion for us, but they're recognizing the source of his blessing. It's not like, man, you're a better farmer or shepherd or well digger than us. You know, like you drill a well, you drill a well, right? You raise goats and sheep, you raise goats and sheep. I mean, there's guys that are better at it than others, but I mean, like, what's that scale look like? You know what I mean? Like, so it's, they're recognizing it's the hand of the Lord. Verse 30, so he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning, they arose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. If we live as the kind of Christian witness among our unbelieving neighbors that we need to, we can believe that in time the Lord will give us opportunities for ministry. Sometimes it takes a long time as the rhythm and pattern of life has to reveal a consistent pattern of joy and faithfulness that others are able to see. If the rhythm and pattern of my life reflects to the world, he doesn't mourn the way everybody else mourns. He doesn't find happiness in the things the other people find happiness in. He doesn't get frustrated when the political scene isn't what he thinks it should be. He's not spun out because of inflation or the cost of this or the cost of that. She seems to be happy no matter what. She seems to rest in Jesus in her faith no matter what. Like, that's a cool witness for the Lord. A long, but to live that kind of consistent pattern means you've got you to endure some hardship. They got, people got to see you suffer and see you suffer well. They got to see you struggle and see you struggle well. That's, that's part of what a Christian testimony looks like because Abimelech recognizes the hand of the Lord and blesses Isaac for it. In closing, that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, we found water. He called it Sheba, which means oath. If you look in the footnote, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Let's consider in conclusion, our last five minutes here, uh, several of Isaac's actions and interactions and learn from them. Number one, consistency and obedience. He made mistakes, but the overall trajectory was one of faithfulness to the Lord. This was an example that was set for him by his father and that he would set for his sons and that we can learn from. Consistency and obedience. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up, but be consistent. Number two, the consistent life and pattern of worshiping Yahweh. Particularly in verse 24, in response to the word of the Lord, Isaac worshiped God. So a pattern of worship, not, not a we go to church sometimes, then when it's convenient, and when it's inconvenient, we don't. We go to the house of the Lord when it's the cold winter months and it's dark at five o'clock, but we go to the lake all summer. 
or we have tournaments every weekend and we go to the lake every other weekend. And we, like, I, I'm not trying to become like an independent fundamental Baptist preacher here, but that's the reality. Church is not priority to people in our culture. Our kids need to see an overarching pattern of consistency in our love for the people of God and for corporate worship. I think that's very important. More importantly, an overarching consistency in how we worship in the home, in the home. Number three, when we make a mistake, we need to respond by admitting our wrongs, taking responsibility, and recognize we, all we can do is follow the Lord in confession and obedience and then get back to work. That's what repentance looks like. Get back to work. There's always grace received in this. Number four, the grace and kindness of the Lord is greater than Isaac's or our ability to make mistakes and mess things up. The grace and kindness of the Lord is greater than our mistakes. Number five, when we experience blessing, we need to be careful because that's when we tend to get comfortable and get sloppy. If you go back to when, like when, when Isaac did the uh, thing with his wife, that was right after it said that God was blessing him. Like when you go back there, um, if you go back to verse 6, Isaac settled in Gerar. That's right on the heels of this five-verse description of God's blessing in his life. And then it's right on the heels of that he messed up. I think that's a really, I, in my life, I've seen that to be a very accurate principle. When things are going good, life is good, you got to watch out. Like that's when, that's when the enemy's lurking. That's when your flesh will rear itself up and push back. On the heels of blessing, it's easy to get sloppy. We need to be careful. Three more. Number six, with quiet determination, Isaac went about the business of obtaining water for his flocks and his crops, and God blessed him for it. The Lord will bless us for living lives of hard work and stewardship and obedience in the callings he's given us and the exercising and use of our giftings. Some of you are gifted in the white-collar world, some in the blue-collar world, some of you are gifted educators, some of you are incredibly gifted businessmen and women. Whatever God's gifting for you is, use that, use those giftings to honor him, build the kingdom to the fullest extent of his glory, and recognize that everything's a gift from the Lord and give it back to him. Work hard, be consistent, don't let up. Number seven, the way that we live and work in business and in life has the potential to point people to God. We talked about that. And then lastly, verse uh, I mean, number eight, and I think it's so important. This is where we'll land this. We need to remember the covenant of God to us. At the middle of this story, God reminds Isaac of his covenant love. I'm doing a work. You mess up, I don't mess up. My promises to you are constantly being renewed. The mercies that God gives us are new every day. The gospel doesn't tarnish, doesn't perish, doesn't fade. It's reserved. It's kept. We're sealed in the blood of Jesus, sealed by the Spirit of God, and our inheritance awaits us, Peter writes. We need to remember the covenant of God to us, that this is the covenant that holds everything together in our lives. We need to remember what Jesus has done. We need to remember the gospel. It's the gospel that will carry us through life. Amen? As a Christian, I need to never get far from remembering what Jesus has done and just providing me with salvation. You're wondering how you're going to pay your propane bill? Pause for a minute and think of your salvation. That's a bigger deal than getting your propane bill paid. And if God is faithful to that, he'll take care of you. You're, you're freaked out over a wayward son or daughter or loved one. Remember, the gospel is the power of God to save people and change the very trajectory of their lives. And trust the Lord for that. And lean into that. 
and believe and live a life of faithfulness. Let's pray. God, I pray that tonight you take the story of Isaac's faithfulness, even in his failure, the response and obedience that came out of repentance, and you teach us from it and through it. I pray that we would live consistently, as your word says, in this, in this life, that we would live with conduct among the Gentiles that would bring glory and honor to you, that so even unbelievers might see who you are and see your goodness and respond to it. And, and, and greatest of all, that people might come to know Jesus because of the consistent pattern of our lives. Even when we fail, that our response and repentance would point people to Jesus. When we go through hardship, difficulty, contention, conflict, we'd fight for the things you would have us to fight for, but we'd walk away from the things that don't matter to you. The things that don't matter to you wouldn't matter to us. We'd trust your provision for our lives. We'd be good stewards. We'd work hard, but ultimately we would know that it's the promise of God in our lives that really matters, that defines who we are. God, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, they'd call on the name of the Lord Jesus and turn to you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.